0: Hello, and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast of bridging the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis on all the topics you're debating, you want to hear about, and you want some information on. As usual, I'm joined by Duncan Castles, I'm Ian McGarry, and, of course... We start with news, breaking news, because Alexis Sanchez is now the subject of a transfer bid by Internazionale of Milan. Um, The representatives of the club have been in Manchester since Sunday, attempting to sort out a deal which will take the Chilean forward to Serie A. Duncan, what's the latest that's happened in this particular uh, transfer, which has kind of been on and off, I think, over the last seven days? Yeah,
1: this has very much been driven by Antonio Conte again. um, Antonio Conte, who got Romelu Lukaku out of Manchester United to Inter by pressuring um, his new club to do that deal, saying he was uh, crucial to his plans for the season. Um, He's now insisting that they uh, bring Alexis Sanchez as well um, to add to their attack. Um, I'm hearing that Inter are very confident that they can complete this deal. which isn't surprising because we know Manchester United um, would like to get uh, Sanchez out. We know Sanchez is unhappy there. Um, so the pieces are in place. Um, there is one obvious problem, which is Sanchez's huge salary at Manchester United, which would make him, by some margin, the, the best paid player at Inter. And understandably, Inter do not want to pay that salary in full. Um, I think it's unlikely. Um, that Sanchez will take a pay cut to go to Inter. So you're looking at a situation where Manchester United are being asked to subsidise the players' wages um, while he goes to Inter. And there's obviously precedent for this, as United did that with Wayne Rooney, um, to get him out of the club and get him to Everton um, a couple of seasons ago. Um, The deal, I'm told, uh, has been... Um, discussed is for a loan on, uh, for this season um, on a, a small loan fee with uh, Inter having an obligatory option to buy in a year's time for around €15 million euros, which would help them with um, their financial fair play because they won't have two um, transfer fees, uh, Lukaku and um, Sanchez uh, on the same year's accounts. Uh, they're confident they're going to get this through um it's part of kind of a, a merry-go-round of italian um forwards that uh, a lot of which has been driven by inter that we talked about before in the podcast inter still trying to get rid of mauro icardi um they've been trying to shift him to to roma um and had a deal with roma to take edin seco um in exchange for Icardi and cash, Icardi refused to go there. Uh, Icardi is insisting on moving to Juventus, um, the one club that Inter don't want to sell him to because they, they, Juventus are direct rivals for the title. I'm also told that Conte wants to bring in Fernando Llorente, um, the Tottenham, ex-Tottenham striker, as a free agent to complete his attack once, um, once they've managed to get Icardi off the books. Um, and then I think, Ian, you can tell us about what's happening with Juventus in terms of their uh, attempts to change their uh, attacking line up and move strikers around that are also involved in these discussions.
0: Indeed, there's quite a, a, a catalyst of um, action happening in the, the north of, of that beautiful country of Italy. Uh, Paul Dybala, who we know has uh, been in negotiations with both Manchester United and Spurs. Previously, before the transfer window in England closed, is now close to joining Paris Saint-Germain. He, I think, uh, is still slightly uh, uncertain about moving away from Turin. However, uh, my information is that um, Dybala's brother and agent has met with PSG officials who are willing to pay the player two and a half times his current net salary, which would be around €210 million net Uh, sorry, €210,000, it would be lovely if he wasn't €210,000 per week net uh, to go to the French champions. And, of course, that would see um, a replacement potentially for Neymar, of course, who is still subject to bids from both Barcelona and Real Madrid. So, the ballot to PSG resolves the um, question of a replacement for the Brazilian um, striker-stroke attacking midfielder. Dybala himself, as I said, has some um, resistance to leaving Juventus. However, um, as we have reported previously in the podcast, uh, the financial demands that the player and his agent were making, um, his brother, obviously, Gustavo, um, when he was in negotiations with both Manchester United and Tottenham, uh, were the stumbling block to any deal being completed however PSG have agreed to those personal terms and it's now about simply agreeing the transfer fee which I believe will be around 75 million euros uh, from Juventus again freeing that money up uh, so that uh, Juventus themselves can then reinvest potential for Icardi Duncan although as we said, you said Icardi is someone who uh, Inter don't want to sell to Juventus and of course in this whole merry ground as well, we can't forget Felipe Coutinho, who has today agreed to join Bar Munich on one, for one season from Barcelona, which again, Duncan frees up the wages and the salary cap for Neymar. Yeah,
1: this is a, it's an interesting move that uh, Barcelona have made there. And it, it's kind of, as it's explained to me, it was sort of a competitive move um, in terms and a way of, of trying to stop Madrid taking Neymar um, from PSG. and uh, So the explanation I've had was that Gareth Bale um, was close to joining Bayern Munich on loan, um, which of course is something Madrid would uh, welcome as it would remove that uh, 21 million euros net basic salary from their books and create space on their Liga salary cap that would allow them to bring Neymar in, assuming, of course, Neymar agreed to the transfer, Neymar's preference being to move to Barcelona. Barcelona also had a Liga salary cap issue, as we told you um, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. They've been trying to shift Coutinho to create space for Neymar. They've managed to do that by sending him to Bayern Munich. It's uh, a loan deal with a proper option to buy. The option to buy, I'm told, is for 120 million euros in one year's time. The loan fee is 18 million euros for the season and Bayern also cover all of Coutinho's sustan- substantial wages for the season. Um, but the key, one of the key elements for Barcelona is that by moving Coutinho to Bayern, they prevent Madrid from moving Bale to Bayern and therefore they have the, the space in their salary cap for Neymar and in their reckoning that that they hope will force PSG to accept that they have to let Neymar go to Barcelona rather than their preferred option, which is to send him to Madrid. As I said, the player wants to go to Barcelona, is prepared to take a pay cut to go there. Lionel Messi pushing the, the club and the directors to make it happen. Neymar, a long time ago, asking Lionel Messi for his help on that, um, Qatar ready to sell Neymar. Um, it's getting closer, it seems, uh, to being resolved. But um, as we've said all along in the podcast, when you're dealing with numbers of this scale, uh, egos of this scale, um, political issues, you know, the nation, the pride of a nation state involved, and uh, our favorite, um, Ney Pai, um, the man who, who always finds a way to get the most out of a transfer deal involving his son. Um, I don't think you wait, you wait until the, all the contracts are signed before um, stating where he actually will be for this coming season.
0: I, I got this image in my head, Duncan, and I know that our listeners know that I often get these images in my head, um, <laughs> of a chessboard. <laughs> and we've got Alexis Sanchez, Neymar, Tibala Coutinho, Icardi, as well as the uh, other players in this particular um, game of, of uh, football war. So, you've got the agents, you've got the administrators, you've know, Beppe Marotta, you've got um, obviously Nepai, you've got Alexis Sanchez's brother as well in this. Uh, sorry, DiBala's brother, Alexis Sanchez's agent as well. They're all lining up against each other, trying to outmaneuver each other in terms of where they all end up and who gets what and who wins this particular game. Seems to me that so far, Neymar's ahead of the game, Coutinho's a bit of a loser. In terms of like, he probably didn't want to go to Bar Munich, but he's been kind of forced out by being told that you are supposed to requirements. And when Neymar comes back here, then you're not even going to play anyway. Um, Dabala's slightly reticent about moving forward. He's like, you know, some kind of uh, bishop looking at his angles and wondering which one to take. And of course, you've got Alexis Sanchez, who, if he had the opportunity, would be, I guess, some kind of king. But you obviously have to have Atom and Humber's dogs on a league yeah. beside him on the board. Saying, "Take me in the right direction, boys. You know what I should be doing."
1: <laughs> and, and and Antonio Conte, of course. Uh, yes,
0: he would forcing, definitely
1: be a bishop. Forcing, forcing his king and queen to to bend to his will and, and give him the uh, the pieces he wants to to win the game with Juventus. It is it so multi-dimensional? And you've got the club to club conflict with Juventus and Inter, which is stopping some of the obvious moves happening Um, Juventus still have this problem with Iguain, who is refusing to go anywhere else and is stuck with his high wages there and Mario Mandzukic who they tried to offload to Manchester United as part of that Dybala deal got quite close to doing but in the end that fell through so they've got Mandzukic, Iguain, and Dybala Um, causing a problem for Sari. Sari himself who would prefer to keep Dybala. Um, Dybala scored a great goal at the weekend for Juventus and the the suggestion is that um, if nothing happens with this PSG deal, if it's not resolved, Sari would like to actually start Dybala for the first um, Serie A game uh, as Juventus manager. Um, so, yeah, there's so many elements and so much money involved. I um, was you know, talking to someone about this this morning, and he said it's, uh, it's increasingly hard to sell players these days um, because they're paid so much, and, uh, and they have such uh, great status in the game. And, and it's, it's intriguing how many of the, the biggest transfers of recent seasons, uh, Gareth Bale being one of them, Neymar another, uh, Philip Coutinho... Alexis Sanchez, these were all headline deals that major clubs competed to achieve and and there was great upset on the part of of the clubs losing these players. How all of those players are being shifted out by their current um, employers because they've had enough of them or they're causing problems um, or they can't afford them anymore. Um, It's amazing how, how rapidly the status of these elite
0: players changes in the modern game. So before we leave this particular um, situation, uh, let's just say a plot which Niccolò Machiavelli would have been proud of himself, let's take each of these transfers one by one and try and give our best insight into what might happen and what we want. Coutinho's out of this particular equation because he has confirmed his loan move to Bayern Munich, which of course frees up his salary cap and of course um, a place in the team for the Brazil's problem child Neymar. We've got nine days left, Duncan. Neymar, I know it's very complex, but do we think that he will indeed get his wish and go back to the camp now?
1: Well, you almost asked me to do something that I get on Twitter quite a lot, which is put a probability on, the, on a transfer. And you know, I see some, uh, I think it's quite popular in Italy to do these marks out of 10 on probability of transfers, and I just find it... Um, a pointless exercise <laughs> because you're, did, I prefer to report how things are um, and, Sure, no, um, no, no I
0: not, but I suppose, I suppose.
1: Say, say it but if you're asking me where does it look like Neymar's going to end up at present I would say Barcelona have the advantage because they've created the room on their salary cap forum and he wants to go there um, Madrid do not have that space at present um, as I said, PSG would like to move him there. Uh, I think the only way he ends up there is if Madrid managed to create that space and PSG hold and hold and hold and say, you do not get to go anywhere uh, unless you go to Madrid. That is your only option now. You've got Real Madrid. We know you want to go to Barcelona. We're not going to sell you to Barcelona. Uh, make your choice. Go, go to Madrid or stay here and have a
0: troubled season. <sighs> I respect your opinion, but I just can't see, I honestly can't see, Duncan, how PSG and Neymar can still be married for the, this coming season. Um, they lost their opening league match um, this weekend. They clearly are being overshadowed by this soap opera that's happening with Neymar. Um, I do think that getting de and uh, to PSG to effectively replace him with regards to goals and creativity would be a solution and a, probably a very good solution as well. Um, and I think that would see Neymar definitely end up at Barcelona. I, I think it would get to the point where if Neymar will um, absolutely refuse to go to, to Madrid on the basis that Barcelona is, is his choice, that rather than keep him, PSG will sell to Barcelona. or well, not sell, but it's possibly going to be a loan deal with an obligatory purchase clause. So that's how I see that one playing out. Alexis Sanchez is perhaps more straightforward. We know that um, he's not necessarily in Ole Gunnar Solshar's plans, despite what he says to the contrary. Because you know, Solshar seems to me to be someone who wants to say something positive about everyone. Um, I know you call him the precious one, and I think that's something which he's trying to um, live up to, really, because he doesn't want to, um, you know, take anyone else off. He wants just in case he's left with a player like Sanchez who's unhappy and. You know, his dogs are unhappy as well. He wants to make sure that he's not sedenting in public, which is going to make Sanchez some kind of outcast. So, Sanchez to Internazionale. Um, as I said, we've had negotiations over two days now. They continue today. What's your view on that, Duncan? Well, I think Solskjaer's
1: playing it as he has to play it. Um, as you say, he could end up being stuck with Sanchez, and, and, and almost, it's not, it's not a completely being stuck with, he's, he's actually very short, or would be very short a numbers, experience forwards, if Sanchez leaves. Um, they've already sold Lukaku without replacing, like for like. You've got um, Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, both of whom started. Um, then you've got Mason Greenwood, who has yet to start a Premier League game in his career and is a, is a teenager. And you've got Daniel James, who has yet to start a Premier League game. Um, and he's uh, and also uh, very young. So there's not a lot of experience there. He doesn't have a lot of options. And OK, he clearly doesn't want to have Sanchez as a regular starter in his team. That's not the plan. Um, they haven't gone into the window with that idea. The, the idea has been to, to move the player out. But now he can't add any players. Um, and they're making their squad extremely light in terms of forward options if they allow the player to go. So I think there is an element there of of Solskjaer, not just considering I might get stuck with this player, um, so I better say nice things about him. There's probably also an element of I I can probably do with having him there, although I understand why uh, the the club want to move him on. And yes, um, Inter are very confident about this. They think it's almost there. But whenever you have a player on such a big salary as he is on, there's going to be an issue, and they you know they want Manchester United to subsidise the deal, and getting clubs to subsidise deals is never a, a simple and straightforward thing. So again, um, it looks like it's headed in one direction, but um, not absolutely guaranteed would be my, my view at present.
0: Very true. Um, I think United would well would be hesitant to say the least, about subsidising the wages of uh, someone like Sanchez to go play uh, in Italy. However, um, he does seem to be someone who is not popular in the dressing room, who has a bad influence, a negative influence um, on other players, including young players. Uh, His teammates have suspicions about his multiple injuries, which means he can't train or can't play. Um, He's surly. uh, He doesn't really want to be in Manchester, I think moving um, out to a nice house in uh, Lago di Como and playing for Inter would be one of his. Uh, it would certainly perk him up. That's for sure. We can ask our old friend Roger Mitchell to provide some uh, real estate advice for him <laughs> in Humber and Atom, uh, where the nice dog walking areas are, etc. Uh, which would certainly cheer him up no end and get him properly back on form. So, I think that's one obviously we will keep you up to date with um, this week on the Transfer Window podcast as you know we've got two more one Wednesday one Friday this week when the window closes on September 2nd in Europe so lots of stuff to be happening I think in terms of transfers this week and of course another one which still remains just in the ether Duncan is Paul Pogba um, I think it's interesting, again, what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said uh, over the weekend regarding Pogba. He started to turn it back round on the media. He said, well, you're the guys that are asking questions about him. You're the guys who put the question mark at the end of his future. When he was challenged on that and said, well, actually, no, it was Pogba himself who said, who knows what my future holds? Uh, he said, and he was challenged again, will he be here on September the 2nd? And he said... I have no concerns that Paul Pogba will be here. So now, unless um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has that absolute cast-iron guarantee from Ed Woodward and the board that Pogba will not be sold, or whether he's been consulting someone with, I don't know, um, a fortune teller who saw Pogba in a red shirt in October, then one of those things uh, must be the case if he's going to be so certain about that. I would certainly, if it was me, have hedged my bets a little bit um, given what we know about Pogba, his agent Mina Raiola and Real Madrid's interest. And again, as we just spoken about, with Neymar edging ever closer to move to Barcelona, then the, the, the one piece of the jigsaw left for Madrid to um, create their squad to challenge for the coming season is to recruit a creative midfielder um, in either Pogba or potentially Christian Eriksen. Now... We told you on Friday's podcast that our information was that Madrid will make a bid um, for Pogba this week. That's only become stronger uh, in the last two to three days um, from the contacts that uh, we speak to with regards to what's going to happen. Madrid are a club who believe that they, when they come in for a player and the player wants to move, then that that's what usually happens and that's fair enough. Of course, the problem with they have, the same as, they ha- same as Barcelona had, with regards to getting Coutinho in order to make space for Neymar as a salary cap. Um, Duncan, can you see that there being movement or room for movement in the Real Madrid squad now that um, Zinedine Zidane seems to have accepted that Gareth Bale will not leave and will stay there? and He was obviously the prime candidate to leave the club in order to make room on the salary cap uh, for Pogba, or indeed another player. Can you see them being able to wheel and deal enough in the next nine or so days that that could still be a possibility?
1: Well, I think they've got time and they've got quality players um, and there's, uh, there's still sufficient clubs in Europe uh, looking to recruit that um, it, it's possible to shift players on, off the books. They might have to do it at, uh, in a fashion where they, they take less cash in terms of loan fees or option to buy um, Involved in the deals than they, they would have hoped to But I don't think it's impossible um, In terms of Solskjaer and Pogba Again, I think um, I think he's saying what he has to say in public um, Because it's clear that Manchester United's stance is We do not want to sell this player We will not sell this player um, It's clear Solskjaer's stance has been I want to keep this player um, And he's done a lot of work to, to try and convince Pogba He will be central to his team uh, and he counts on him, and uh, and it's the right place for him to be. So I think publicly he has to take this line, and uh, and then uh, hope that Pogba and Raiola um, don't go nuclear in their attempts to get out of the club. That's the that's the big worry for Manchester United is what how far is our Pogba and Raiola prepared to take it to force a move um, when Madrid make that offer, uh, and then. Um, do you, say, stick to your guns and say, no, you're not getting to leave, um, you remain at this club, you're under contract, you will play for the next season? And, uh, and see how you manage to deal with them through the season, having, having prevented them from going to Madrid in those circumstances. Um, as we said, said, United have kind of made this rod for their own back by not purchasing at least one midfielder in the summer window having allowed first Marouane Fellaini and then Ander Herrera, senior players, one of whom Solskjaer described as vital to his midfield last season, um, to leave uh, for minimal fees in, uh, in those last two windows. So they could have signed a player. Um, they, they need extra players in midfield for sure. Even as the squad stands, they're light lightened midfielders. But they could have put a prepar- preparatory purchase in place in case something happened with Pogba. And it was, <laughs> it's been as clear as you would like that Pogba wanted to go. Raiola was, was agitating for a move. Everyone knew that the English transfer window closed three weeks ahead of the uh, European windows. Uh, so this situation was foreseeable. Um, now they have to, to, to ride it and, uh, and see what the outcome is in terms of one of their key players because what is absolutely clear is if they do decide to sell Pogba or they lose his full attentions for the season, they're losing their most creative and most important midfielder or lo- are, are losing um, some of his attention and commitment for the coming season. Uh, if they handle this the wrong way, if he decides to to go down that line, and that will have significant repercussions for Solskjaer's first full season for their attempts to get back into the champions league um, for their attempts to compete uh, for to be as high up the Premier League as possible with the squad they've got
0: so interesting Duncan um, I had a chat over the weekend um, during my sort of normal rounds of uh, Premier League football. Uh, as uh, things happen, et cetera, et cetera, with someone who was um, a central figure in Sir Alex Ferguson's regime um, when he still managed Manchester United. And I had a chat with him about Pogba and the stance and the whole sort of joking between Raiola and the club and everything else, etc., etc. And that person said to me, very simple solution to this. You just deploy the Cristiano manoeuvre. We all knew Ronaldo wanted to go to Real Madrid. We all knew that Real Madrid was too much of a draw for Cristiano. So what we said was, give us one more season um, and then you will be allowed. We will we will deal both uh, credibly and with reason in terms of the fee, which of course ended up to be £80 million, and that was a record transfer at the time. And the transfer will be smooth and you will get your wish. However... You need to knuckle down, give us one great season before you leave, but we will facilitate your transfer. Now, this person, I have to stress, is no longer involved in the politics or indeed the administration of Manchester United, but it seemed to me to be a sensible approach because Pogba is out of contract in the summer of, what, 2021. So he's now entering into the second last year of his current contract. Manchester United have yet to offer him a new deal. I think they realise that he doesn't want to be there long term. So is it time for Solskjaer to go to Pogba and say, look, we will facilitate your wishes in nine months' time, ten months' time. But in the meantime, uh, don't make waves. Give us your best. And then your transfer to Madrid, where you want to be, will be facilitated smoothly um, in uh, the next, the next summer window, and everyone will get what they want. Would you say that would be a sensible policy, Duncan?
1: Well, two things. Um, first of all, I don't think Solskjaer is in the position. I don't think he has the authority to do that. That's not his decision to make. That's a a, a, a key financial decision, a key recruitment decision, and that is Ed Woodward's domain. So. Um, that would be a strategy that Solskjaer could propose to Woodward, but Woodward would have to sign off on it, and the Glazers would have to sign off of it. I think it is sensible in principle. Um, it clearly worked with Cristiano Ronaldo, but you also have to calculate in here that Cristiano Ronaldo is probably the most professional football of that level we've seen uh, probably in the history of the game. Um, so his focus on... Uh, achieving on the field and, and being the best footballer he could be is unparalleled um, and Paul Pogba isn't that man so you're, you're, you're dealing with a different individual there which doesn't mean he won't respond uh, beneficially for the club but you have, to, you have to figure that in I think there's another alternative here which is they do renew um, Paul Pogba's contract Uh, They give him a pay rise, which he will want um, and which obviously his agent will want. They'll give his agent um, another slice of the pizza uh, and another commission on the deal. And then they write into that contract that there's a defined release clause, um, possibly only active for one summer. Um, And and this is the strategy they used with David De Gea when they they last um, signed him to an improved deal. After he had agreed and after they had agreed to sell him to Real Madrid, the deal fell through at at the last minute. Um, Very soon after that, I think inside a couple of months, he he signed the the deal he is on at present at Manchester United. And one of the conditions for signing that deal was, um, I want a defined release clause which allows me to leave to Real Madrid in one year's time in a specific window. Specific period of the summer transfer window, should Madrid choose to buy me again then and should I choose to go. Uh, That clause was not activated, um, partly because Jose Mourinho and uh, George Mendes, David De Gea's agent, persuaded the player it would be better for his career to remain at Manchester United for for that um, ongoing period and not take up the option and not agitate to go to Madrid that summer. But you could structure a, a new deal to keep Pogba happier with that um, set price. Let's say £150 million, um, would be the, the number, as that's the, the number that's been associated with uh, what Manchester United would be prepared to accept to um, sell the player at the start
0: of this summer. Um, and you move on from there. Well, I... I... Take your point, Duncan. I think um, if I were a player in Manchester United, um, and, and also maybe an agent, even Mino Raiola himself, if um, if I had the word in the handshake of Sir Alex Ferguson to say, as Cristiano, uh, Ronaldo, Ronaldo had, that he would be able to leave in one year's time to go to Real Madrid, then I would trust that. But I think you're correct. I don't think Solskjaer has that authority. and I also don't believe that... Um, even Ed Woodward would be able to provide the kind of reassurance that either Iola or Pogba would uh, believe in order to um, give them the uh, belief that that as a, an agreement would be honoured out with what you've just out, uh, said. And that as a contract with a defined release clause and also a release clause which says if Real Madrid make a bid of X, then I will be allowed to go. <clears throat> and that would be triggered. So that's one I think which is. Um, I do believe there will be a bid for Madrid this this week. I'm not sure that um, they have any real sense that they're going to get that deal done because, again, it relies a lot on them getting other players moved out. They're running out of time on that. The salary cap cannot be transgressed. um, As simple as that. So whatever uh, deal they have to work out to get Pogba there uh, for the rest of the season is going to be both uh, unlikely and also very complex given the amount of time we have left. I do think Pogba will probably be a Manchester player as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer hopes um, on September the 3rd. And uh, However, with Madrid, you never know that that kind of club, they've pulled this stuff off before, um, probably even more ridiculous transfers than Paul Pogba, to be fair. And the Figo one from Barcelona was one of the most outrageous in the history of football in terms of the way they did that. So... Um, I don't think this is um, done and dusted in terms of uh, it not going to happen. I think that we've got some a little bit of storytelling, still uh, information gathering, and of course bringing that to you over the course of the next few days.
1: And and remember, there's other other players in play here, as we've we've talked about before. Christian um is an option for Madrid if they cannot sign Pogba, um, and clearly. Uh, attainable in the sense that he only has one year left in his contract and would be keen to move. And we've also got Donny van der Beek at um, Ajax, who uh, Madrid have been in negotiations with Ajax about a transfer fee. And Ajax, I believe, remain open to selling the player if the numbers are right for them. Uh, they have been working to uh, convince him to stay for another year before leaving, but um, as, as is generally always the case with Ajax, when the numbers get high enough, uh, they'll take it. So it's um, Neymar, uh, Florentino Perez's option, Pogba, Zinedine Sedan's option. And then if you can't get either of those, get a big name uh, signing in and you fall back to individuals like Ericsson and Van der Beek as alternatives
0: uh, in that scenario. And, of course, um, just to reiterate his own comments, Mircea Pochettino, after uh, the weekend's game, the draw against Manchester City, once again called out the uh, Premier League um, by saying it's a massive mistake to allow European transfer window to be open three weeks after it closes in England. I think he said that, obviously, with the view that they might still lose Ericsson. Um, with Coutinho going to Bayern Munich, then that closes off probably that option that, Ericsson might move to the Bundesliga. And so, again, if Togba is not not a realistic option for Madrid, then Ericsson becomes their number one target in terms of a new creative midfielder. Now, Duncan, we've had a lot of um, interaction on social media. Uh, you guys know that we love to uh, get in the debate with you. And, of course, the big talking point of last weekend's Premier League was... The VAR intervention in the Manchester City versus Tottenham Hotspur game, um, which saw uh, a goal by Gabriel Jesus uh, disallowed for a what was clearly a very, very um, unintentional accidental handball by Amart Laporte in the build-up. In fact, uh, as I said, we've had lots of um, tweets from you guys, but one from Dev Corey at Decorey, Uh, asks this question, Duncan, and we know it's not your questions answered, but I think this gives us a good opportunity to get into the debate, and that is scenario. A defender unintentionally handles the ball in the box on a corner kick, allowing him to gain possession. Immediately, boots it clear to their striker who scores in the counterattack. The goal-scoring chance retroactively makes it a handball, so ref awards a penalty question mark.
1: Yes, um, the listeners uh, spotted a one of many flaws in this new handball rule we have. Um, we talked, I think, back in May about uh, the issues that we we're going to have with the changes to the handball rule. We did quite an extensive bit in the podcast about it and predicted that it would cause mayhem in the Premier League once it was introduced. Um, I think our predictions have been borne out the first two weeks of the season. We get uh, goals cancelled um, for Wolves and Manchester City um, because of clearly unintentional handballs that nobody um, on the pitch, officials and players combined, saw. Um, only when the VAR um, looked at the, these goals subsequently did they detect that the ball had struck Um, Willie Bolly and Amerik Laporte's hand uh, before going to a teammate who scored. And this has been um, interpreted by Premier League officials as being um, illegal under the new rules. And I think um, Premier League has gone out of its way to communicate that this season um, goals would not be allowed uh, if they came off an attacker's hand. Uh, directly into the net or if they came off a teammate's hand before the attacker scored. And they've been clear in that communication that it's been, um, I think, very well understood by uh, the general public and um, well understood by the referees and uh, and their video assistant referees. However, um, the Laporte incident at the weekend caused me to actually go and look at the law as reframed again and ask whether it had been correctly um, cancelled because the kind of assumption was uh, if it touches a teammate's hand in the build-up, then it can't be a goal. And I said, okay, right, so how is this expressed in the law? And reading the law, it seems to me that that was incorrect. And the law is not actually framed in that way. It's very specific, um, the language used. And the the language is, is that handling the ball is an offence it is an offence if a player gains possession control of the ball after it has touched their hand arm and then creates a goal scoring opportunity so you ask yourself the question did a player Laporte gain possession control of the ball well I don't think he did gain possession or control of the ball because the ball bounced off him um, He sub- certainly after um, the ball hit him Uh, he did not um, then create a goal-scoring opportunity having gained control possession of the ball. The ball, again, it bounced off him and went to Gabriel Jesus, who then uh, scored. So, according to the letter of the law, as framed, he hasn't actually broken the law. It's not the case. The law does not say if the ball comes off um, one of your teammates, and you score um, off his hand or arm, whether deliberate or not, that is uh, a foul. That's not what the law says. Um, So it makes me wonder whether the Premier League has stepped over the boundaries here um, in that they wanted this rule changed. The the rule was changed on their behalf because they they felt it was unfair that players could score um, a goal after a ball um, bounces off hand like Willie bolly did in the premier league last season they seem to have um, overextended themselves there and gone beyond just the scoring of a goal with the hand and they've taken it into um, a, an attempt to make it the the creation of a goal scoring opportunity with a hand and obviously they haven't considered the repercussions of this because you're seeing the repercussions now you've got two weeks in a row where you've got um what would be seen as perfectly good goals last season And I think what most players on the pitch regard as perfectly good goals because they realise what happened there was accidental. Uh, Both Bolle and um, Laporte had no control over what happened, it's a bounce of the ball in the box. You see players pointing out that you've got an unfair situation and that if it bounces off a defender in that circumstance there's no foul, but if it bounces off an attacker it is a foul. There's been, been various complaints. But I think that one, they've made a mess of the rule, as we pointed out several months ago. Two, they're not even applying the new rule properly. And when you throw VAR on top and VAR is detecting things that nobody saw because they're so marginal, um, they're so unobvious that nobody on the pitch is aware of them when they happen, um, then you've got a, you know, a, a triple header of of um, of disaster and mess, which is... Um, it's not benefiting
0: the game, it's making the game worse. And once again, Duncan, we're in a situation where um, pre VAR, we had the laws of the game and the spirit of the game. So the interpretation of the referee um, of the laws of the game was enshrined in the spirit of the game. And under those laws and under that understanding, Americ Laporte was in no way responsible. For his arm hitting the ball It was ricocheted He had no way of moving it out of the way And therefore the ball dropped Fortuitously at his feet Who then scores An added time winner from Manchester City The goal would have been awarded Not one single player on either side Appealed against that But of course we now have the obligatory VAR check They spot what is Clearly unintentional and I would argue not even accidental. He couldn't get his hand, any, his arm out anywhere near out the way of that ball, even if he wanted to, because of the speed of the delivery. And yeah, the, as,
1: the, as, as Kevin De Bruyne very nicely put it after the game, what can he do? Should he chop his arm off and play without it?
0: Exactly correct. So, in that sense, are we robotising football now because of the... Um, the wishes of the people who administer the game, in this case, UEFA, the Premier League and FIFA, in order to somehow, in their eyes, provide what they believe is black and white decision-making, that, which is infallible, which I think we've all seen is not the case. Um, but are we effectively bowing down to that on the basis that, well, people can't call us wrong because we've made the rule We've implied that we've enforced the rule and the rule is there and it stands as it is.
1: Look, I think, I think VAR added to a, a badly constructed rule is just is double jeopardy for, for the Premier League because, and, and this game on Saturday was a great example of it because the game is decided because of a VAR decision. Um, which I would argue was an incorrect interpretation of the law, but set that aside for now. It's decided because of a VR decision on something that nobody saw and nobody appealed for. Yet, in the first half of the same match, there is a, a, a foul or an apparent foul by Eric Lamella on Rodri in the box where he wraps both arms around Rodri. Um, It's not an absolute stonewall penalty kick for me, um, partly because of the way the Premier League referees game. So the Premier League does tend to be tolerant of these things. Previous weekend, we saw Harry Maguire wrap his arms around Tammy Abraham on the edge of the the Manchester United box. No foul was given. Maguire gets the ball uh, and uh, passes up the field. Manchester United scores. So you can get away with that in the Premier League. But... It was the kind of thing that people expect to be re-refereed by VAR um, when VAR is there. Um, they expect that to be uh, to have Michael Oliver go to the side of the pitch and look at the monitor and, and have another look at the the, the, the evidence and, and decide for himself whether he was correct or not. Premier League have decided they don't want pitch-side monitors to be used um, because it interferes with the flow of the game. I agree with that. Um, It's better if you don't use pitch-side monitors, but it would be better if you didn't have VAR altogether. Once you have VAR there, the expectation from the fans is that it will be used. And when they see something as as clearly controversial as the the lamella foul on Rodri not being penalised, and then in the same game VR intervenes to get to, to stop the winning goal um, seconds before the end of the game on something that nobody saw, they rightly ask questions about whether this, how's this system supposed to be benefiting the, the game? Um, and how, how does it make it better for the players? How does it make it better for the spectators? Um, and that's the point. That's why VR was supposed to be brought in. It was supposed to make the game better. If it doesn't make the game better, why are we wasting our time with it?
0: Just to complicate things even further, Duncan, I'm going to give you another hypothetical situation because I think this is important in terms of the discussion that's been had uh, since the match on Saturday evening. When VAR reviewed Jesus' goal and they found that uh, Amirot Laporte had inadvertently used his arm, or not used his arm, had come off his arm, in order to provide the um, assist as they now claim, which was illegal. What if... That ball had come off a Spurs player's arm and went to Jesus. And then Jesus still scores the goal. Under the old rulings, the advantage would have been played because the player in possession of the ball had a goal-scoring opportunity. But under the new handball rules, a penalty would have been given and Spurs would have been within their right to say, no, that's not a goal, that's a penalty. In which case, Hugo Lloris has got a chance to save it. Well,
1: I think in those circumstances, the referee would be allowed to play advantage. Um, So he he can't ignore... Well, you say
0: that, but Spurs would be missing the right to say, sorry, the rules of the game say a handball, whether accidental or not, in the lead-up to a goal, has to provide the proper decision, in which case a penalty.
1: Well, I think in that case, he can play advantage. You can't ignore it. What is an issue there is how the ball hits the arm of the defender. Um, let's but say that's just,
0: not an issue <laughs> Hang on, but I'm sorry to interrupt But that's not an issue in the case of the port Because how the ball hits him Is yes. immediately disallowed to So you're yeah. between a rock and a hard place there
1: Yeah, exactly So you have different handball rules In different circumstances for different teams And this, I think the point of our listener here is brilliant And I, I am sure that IFAB did not consider this When they brought in the, the, the new rule So what the listener is saying is um, Imagine that ball coming into the box again and it hits Oliver Skip's arm um, which it, from the video evidence is a suggestion it actually did hit the ball hit his arm um, as well as um, hitting Laporte's arm in this game but let's just turn it into it it hits Skip's arm and drops to Skip so that he gains possession he kicks it down the field uh, to Harry Kane for example Harry Kane then um lobs it over Ederson and scores a goal. Now, under the new rules, he will have handled the ball um, accidentally. So not a foul um, against him uh, for the accidental handball in itself. That can be ignored by the referee. But once he gains possession of it and kicks it to his teammate and his teammate scores, because his teammate has scored, it becomes a foul. Because once you've created a clear goal-scoring opportunity, having gained control of the ball, it's a foul. Where does that foul take place? It takes place in the penalty area. Therefore, it's a penalty to um, Manchester City after Tottenham score a goal off an accidental handball by the defender in his own box so the, the the rule this is this is the thing about changing rules and football rules have not changed radically in the past the, the rules are have been very gradually adapted in over the course of years um, and usually with experiments going on in advance to see if they work or not um, and suddenly we've got these radical rewrites of the rules at the same time as we're taking a radical way of deploying the rules, which is VAR, all all simultaneously. And this is why you don't want to radically rewrite rules, because you don't understand the consequences until you put them in play. People are not foreseeing the issues they're creating by changing the rules. And when you overcomplicate things, you get controversy um, and not, you know, not enjoyable, not, uh, not, not the kind of good controversy that we, we like in football. It's the why on earth are we doing this? Why, why on earth do we have these issues with something that should be clear-cut and straightforward and consistent, which is the laws of the game?
0: Well, in summary, um, I don't apologise for saying that. I'm a firm believer that football is a game played by humans, refereed by humans, and humans are not perfect, and therefore mistakes can be made. But as long as they're honest mistakes, then, you know, let it ride. Let it ride. And so uh, VER will continue to be a topic of discussion in the transfer window over the course of this season. Uh, We obviously invite you to continue that debate with us because we believe that these things should be discussed. And, of course, in doing so on a public forum, then, you know, don't don't get us wrong. People in places of authority will see the discussion and perhaps they will think again and we will see some kind of change or at least a developmental um, position on technology and football. For now, we did no technology to discuss our heroes and villains because it is Monday's podcast and we're going to tell you who we think have been the good and the bad and possibly the ugly of the last few days. Uh, I'm going to invite Duncan to give us this week's villain because he is, of course, the arch-villain himself. <laughs> um, when it comes to uh, Manchester City fans. So <laughs> he'll be glad to know that he's not going to be a Manchester City player, I think. Is that correct, Duncan?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, well, at the villain, except when discussing the handball rule, it seems quite
0: it seems, it Yeah, it seems you're very popular when discussing a handball. Ball, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the handball, yeah. The swings and roundabouts and the uh, swings and arrows of fortune.
1: And the Tottenham fans loved me when I was discussing the handball rule after the Champions League final, there you go. I'm quite so happy now. Independent. <laughs> we always take the independent rational line on the Transfer Window podcast.
0: Exactly, we do. If only everyone recognised that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, the villain of the week for me would be Danny Ings um, for that open goal he missed um, in the final minutes against Liverpool. Um, perhaps remembering his time as a Liverpool striker, um, and uh, performing in similar fashion to his, uh, his, uh, his several seasons there, um, which allowed uh, which allowed Liverpool to get away with a very good result. I mean, it's an impressive win to come off uh, an extra time uh, trip to Istanbul um, in uh, high temperatures uh, and have to play on Saturday, um, a difficult away venue, um, and they were, you know. Southampton had the better of the first half but Liverpool as they often do uh, conjured up uh, an excellent goal from Sadio Mane to put themselves ahead and look comfortable until um, Adrian did his um, Alison Becker act um,
0: but yeah fill in the week Danny Ings for that miss maybe just sort the liver bird on the badge and, th- and just you know transported himself back back to the heydays <laughs> of Danny Ings at Anfield Um, Very good Well I'm going to go for another Danny For the hero um, And that is our old friend Danny Alves Who made his Sao Paulo debut uh, Last weekend This is a man who has won 40 trophies Major trophies as a player Currently the most for any active player He didn't play In his normal position He played in central midfield And he's older than he was last season by the way People like we all are And he scores the winning goal on his debut, and the entire bench. Please look up on social media. Just type in Alves Sao Paulo. Look at the way they celebrated it. It was like yeah, I don't know. They'd won the Copa America on their own in terms of uh, not even being a a nation state uh, team, or so I should say, the Copa Libertadores despite the fact it was just his first game. Sensational. Uh, Danny, we salute you. We love you. Come on the podcast soon. We know you're a big fan.
1: I've got a little half-hero for this week. Um, I want to give Michael Oliver an award despite his his decision on that penalty kick call against... uh, Uh, Rodri, I want to give him a special award for booking Raheem Sterling for his first tactical foul of the Manchester City game at the weekend. I think that's a very positive forward move for Premier League referees and uh, hopefully he won't be the only one who does it going forward.
0: Well, there goes my donkey award for Wednesday, people. Duncan spoiled it already. Uh, I was hoping to sneak that one in there, but uh obviously it's gonna be something different If you've got any suggestions, then please get in touch on at Transfer podcast uh if you get any suggestions as well for um questions for your questions answered on Wednesday's podcast again, go to our at Transfer podcast twitter handle or indeed to duncan at duncan castles and to me at garbo sj we'll continue the debate from today's podcast and we will hopefully receive some interesting questions as we did from dev cory today so we got we, we put an extra one in for you there um just to uh, illustrate how much we listen to you guys because it's important that you give us your views and we will discuss them If you've loved the podcast, and we know you love the podcast, give something back, get onto iTunes, give us a five-star review. We can enlarge and bring more people into this wonderful community of people who love to talk about football. That's all for today's podcast. We'll be back on Wednesday. We'll see you through the window then. As for now, thanks for listening.